Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1257. Mm. I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And our show is entitled today, Moon Pirates, Space Monkeys, (laughs) Small Town Zombies, and killer clowns from Gotham space. <laughs> In other words, yeah, Mondays. <laughs> Just the use. Just the Business as usual at Zero G. The use. <laughs> Our podcast title is The Usual Podities. Uh, welcome back, Megan. Thank you, Rob. Yes, I uh, got attacked by not a zombie plague flu, hopefully, but I was knocked off my feet for last week, so happy oh. to be back. And no cravings for brains. as Not as yet, but sometimes these things are quite find latent. any here at all. <laughs> <laughs> the zombie had starved to death. <laughs> out of luck, out of luck. Well, it's a good thing I'm not hungry then. Do you remember when we were talking about, oh, uh, way back, the 71st Primetime Emmys? Yes. Way back when. <laughs> I think we might have done a little genre jinxing with some of our primetime Emmy picks after we ran through the Creative Arts Emmys. Yes. Um, our genre comedies all got pipped at the post. I saw, I had already seen a couple of the results that day. So when we were running through it, I was like, and you were sort of saying, oh, hopefully these will yeah. get there. I was like, it oh, was a, Rob. <laughs> a, British, a British comedy um, knocked them off. Fleabag. Like Fleabag, yeah. Have you heard much about that? No. Is it a genre one? It's not a genre one. It's sort of one of those. I've not watched it, but I'm very keen to get my hands on it. It's okay. based on a one-woman show. Yeah. Um, and it's been very well-reviewed, very well-loved. Um, and it's sort of one of those ones about a protagonist sort of maybe go, going through some trauma. It's kind of an everyday life thing, but done from a very sort of self-aware satirical perspective is from what I gather. Couldn't, this is from someone who has not watched it. So Couldn't possibly more fun, be more fun than The Good Place. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's one of those ones that's fun but thought-provoking. Yeah, with, so. The genre did all right in other areas like Game of Thrones. They got their, uh, yes. their big wins, 12 awards, mm-hmm. tying their previous record of 12. Yeah. Um, and, of course, they got outstanding drama. And, uh, and Peter Dinklage won for supporting actor in a drama. Yeah. I uh, mean, he is, he is brilliant. Yeah, that, he is. So. Well-deserved, well Yeah, you know, know, I mean, he was, he just stood out in um, Avengers Infinity War as well. (laughs) (laughs) He was unmissable. (laughs) He was. Uh, And Chernobyl got 10 as well. Yeah, I will see, there you go. But there it is. Sadly, no good place. No. So out in space, basically, uh, um, for the first part of the show, we're going to see if we can have a look at um, Ad Astra. I've been promising that for weeks. I know, I was going to say, I (laughs) still hadn't got to it, but I'm keen to hear your thoughts on it, so I'm happy uh, we'll be talking about that today. And speaking of happy, we might have a look at Joker. Yes, very (laughs) keen to hear your thoughts on this one, actually. And also Jim Jarmusch's The Dead Don't Die. There's so many movies. I know. In a genre. It's, there's actually quite a bit that's come out and even more coming up in the next few weeks. So. Mm. An mm. interesting genre too, like in terms of the Jarmusch zombie thing. Mm. I, I mean, I like having those kind of nuggets out. So what do we got this time? We've got space uh, and zombies. And, and comic book villains. 
super villain yeah. com- uh, superhero show, basically. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good mix, actually. Very. Um, yes, settle in for mm. a lot of well, let's Let's take off with Ad Astra, mm. or as people have called it, Brad Astra, mm-hmm. or as you can also call it, Dad Astra, since there are daddy issues. Uh, no, actually, in Joker, it's mummy issues. Oh, actually, there's some mm. daddy issues as well. <laughs> parental issues. Parental issues, yeah. La- parental guidance should have been appropriate for all of these characters. <laughs> I mean, it's such, yeah, it's such a um, cliche, isn't it? Mm. But uh, And you know what? It's actually, uh, daddy issues is actually my least favourite trope at the moment. Yeah. So that tells you, gives you something that gives you, informs you a little bit about Ad Astra, which takes its title from the Latin phrase meaning to the stars. And this phrase has been used for mottos for many different organisations. Ad Astra per Aspera is the motto of Star Trek Starfleet to the stars with difficulties or in spite of difficulties. <laughs> Uh, and it's also actually the uh, a variant of that is also the motto for the Royal Air Forces across the Commonwealth, including Australia. Ah. All right. So go. this is written and directed by James Gray, who was born in the 60s. So he's a child of the space age. Yes. A US film director and screenwriter. Uh, now, I actually haven't seen a lot of his other work. In fact, probably nothing at all. What have we got on uh, there? Little Odessa. Um and a few other crime films, so okay. basically that's his shtick. Yep, yep. Uh, also The Lost City of Z. Ah, that was one that was a bit... It was about obsession. Under the radar from memory. And obsession is what this film is about. Mm. And obsession also, and I, daddy issues. Yeah. He also worked <laughs> on Fringe as well. That's oh, that was a very series. good show. Yeah. Quite enjoyed that one. Uh, okay, we know this stars Brad Pitt. It's got Tommy Lee Jones thrown into the mix, um, mm-hmm. Liv Tyler and Donald Sutherland, mm-hmm. uh, and Ruth Negger from Preacher. Great, love her. Which was nice. Uh, now, Brad Pitt plays Major Roy McBride. He is a man with so much right stuff that he's stuffy. <laughs> uh, he, he's, the, the gimmick of this character is, and it almost sounds like a superhero character, is that um, his heartbeat... His BPM never never rises above um, eighty <sighs> under any circumstances, and you know that that sort of <sighs> twists me the wrong way to start with. Yeah, it's, me too. <laughs> it's like um, you know the guy the guy who can't feel pain or yeah. yeah just I don't kinda, I don't like that. I, I didn't it rubbed me up the wrong way to start. It's like with. good or bad it doesn't necessarily mean. Yeah. So where's you know he's just a middle of the range. Yeah, he's 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 like. Um, uh, Dave Bowman or Frank Poole in 2001, mm, a little yeah. bit like that. You know, he is, he is master of his, his, his temper and his, yeah. his, his soul and everything, except he's all messed up because he's got father issues. Yeah, too. I was going to say, sounds boring to watch, but I think there's probably a layer of issues on top. Yeah, actually, it's really. I, th- I think it's a quite good performance from Brad Pitt. He's very restrained where he has to be. I think he's really come into that more restrained portrayals thing later in life, I say with inverted commas. Going back just to 2001, I'm thinking of um, of the Dave Bowman character played by uh, Keir Delia. Uh, there's a moment in that, spoilers, where he loses his, his, uh, his cool. He's been mm-hmm. locked out of the spaceship by his faithful computer, his uh, uh, fellow astronaut, his fellow awakened, awakened mm-hmm. astronaut has been cast out into space. Um, 
and he, he loses his cool just a little bit, but yeah. still works the problem. So it's a very NASA sort of yes. aerospace uh, space pilot type, mm. you know, under control, but you can lose it. Yeah, and as I long as you've got something to do after you've lost it. Like, yeah. You know? Yeah, if you're just going to sit there and contemplate. <laughs> exactly. It's like, well, okay, what's the next step? <laughs> Off now, the I've rails. Had, had my tantrum. You got a checklist, to you know. Work the problem. Yeah, exactly. Give me the checklist. <laughs> now, so, I, Brad Pitt basically playing this um, this uh, this super astronaut mm. uh, has to be sent on a space mission because there's some really bad things happening out in the cosmos, mm. Earth threateningly bad things. Okay. And they choose him apart from the fact that he's got ice water for blood. Mm. He is the son of the person who seems to be connected with these things out in space. Interesting. His dad who's been missing um, for all one this, of for, these. For years. One of those. Isn't that kind of like contact, wasn't there? Some kind of... Uh, yes. And also the black hole. Mm. Uh, there's quite a few, actually. There's a lot about, you know, lost loved ones, space, way to work through trauma, all that biz. That's a yeah. bit of a layer of that, so, but all right. So I really tried to like this movie as it superficially reminded me of some of the older Soviet era Eastern mm. Bloc space epics. So, you know, I'm thinking of um, Ikara XB1, um, uh, Planet of Storms, given mm. its um, easy title there. Uh, you know, that sort of thing. But? Uh, but. <laughs> so I was thinking, yeah, okay. And it does have a very solemn sort of pace for the most part. Mm. Uh, and, and this is why it incidentally also partly resembles 2001. Yes. Apart from Brad Pitt's the performance. The pacing and such. Which and that that is actually a masterpiece of the genre that far more successfully references Eastern Bloc science fiction films, mm-hmm. um, and you know of course you know we've had so many of these recently. Um, Gravity, Interstellar, First Man, but going back, I think of uh, Moon and Sunshine, yeah, uh, and the Black Hole. Going back to nineteen seventy nine, and even Moon Zero Two, which nobody will have heard of. <laughs> <laughs> it's a space western, basically, mm-hmm. uh, and. But not in a good space western way, not like the musical um, The American Astronaut or The Return of Stingray Sam, Corey Maccabee's space western musicals. So in the event, I felt rather let down. That Mm. cliche of the son with daddy issues, um, that really just turned me right off. Yeah. Uh, Although... There is a comparison you can make with um, Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness and Apocalypse Now. Okay. Uh, And you might find that that will carry you through the story a bit. I mean, that's very... I mean, doing that, but at a 2001 pace, hmm. I'm not too... You know what I mean? Like the thing with Apocalypse Now, I think it's just, it's a good mixture of brooding and, you know, stuff yeah. happens. <laughs> Somewhere along the line, somebody in the um, in the suits, not the space suits, but mm. the suits in must have thought that because yeah. there's some, there has been some reshoots of this film and I don't know exactly. Okay. The exact Which story bits, of that yeah. hasn't come out yet. Um, I suspect it might have something to do with the space monkeys and the moon pirates. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which do feel like they've just sort of been parachuted into the story. Yeah. Um, there is, uh, on, on the written side, because it's not just movies that these things call to mind in science fiction, it reminds me of any number of short stories, very uh, okay. punchy ones, like the likes of um, Arthur C. Clarke or Isaac Asimov's work. Mm. Uh, and there's one scene in particular that does remind me of a Clarke story element, but I won't spoil that. Okay. <laughs> um, what about the procedural element? Because you love a good, um, you well, know, how did, was it, did it stack sa- up? I sounded like... Um, <laughs> 
going there in my space suit. Um, yes and no. Okay. There's been a lot of work put into the production design. They've gone gone to uh, various um, space companies, aerospace companies, and gotten designs and stuff. And mm. and there has been a there is a scientific consultant, an astronautics consultant, and and, and there's a lot of the stuff that looks good. Yeah. But there's this um, there is these odd emissions that, uh, that 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 and I don't just mean an odd emission control, mm. but there's uh, things that really knocked me off like a space the space suits that they wear um this is really specific uh they've got a hard metal neck ring Mm. down sitting on the chest and then a um a a chunk of uh fabric in between and then another neck ring i can imagine yeah yeah well that's really quite hazardous because it's gonna pinch yeah you know and and maybe i'm being too picky here i mean I think with these things, you're definitely much more like I'm much more forgiving with these things if it's if it serves the story mm. and they've clearly gone design over function here. And I think they want to create the mood mm. rather. Whereas something like The Martian, I think, is very important, even though a lot of some of that is fictional science, at least giving it the look of appearing quite rigorous. Yeah. So I feel like from it's, the sounds of it, they've really gone for look and feel here rather than a little bit, realism. Yeah. Which, I'm, look, it's a choice. It's fine. On the other gauntlet, they get a big tick for not having lights on the interior of the helmet. Yes. Which is just really there to show the actor off. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what they actually do is they light from outside. And this, I like that effect though. And this film is really quite realistically lit in space terms. So mm. there's a lot of stuff they get right. Is it difficult to watch though? I can imagine that might be a bit dark or a bit... No, no, no. You know, they're pretty, you know everyone has name tags if you want them and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, sure. But anyway, there's... Um, uh, there's another element that did strike me as rather strange. Part of the uh, the film involves a journey to uh, a distant location, mm. uh, and they talk about it taking three months. And it's it, you just it would take far longer than mm. that in real time, unless you were travelling with what they call a constant boost, like with your engines on all the time. Yeah, which you it's tend just why to waste that. Yeah, yeah, and they and they say, well, that's really dangerous because, like, like they say, an extended voyage of that length in zero gravity would be hazardous to your psyche. Yeah. Well, you'd have to be continuous boosting, so there'd be no zero gravity. Mm. Um, and in any case, the people on the International Space Station, some of them have been up there a year or more. They're not going crazy. I mean, I suppose they are <laughs> close to Earth, though. Hmm. I guess there's a different thing when you can see Earth and when you can see nothingness. It's just know? something space that one of only. those things that, 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 that that's like a speed hump for space yeah. hips, hipsters, you know. Does it serve the story? Like does it have to be three months? No. Oh, okay. So it's they <laughs> could, literally could have just said it took some time it, it took and it him, wouldn't have It took mattered. him a year and a half or two years. Yeah. You know? It's then like you've got to age him up really yeah. a lot to make up for that extra time. All yeah. right. That's interesting. Um, they do have a really neat – reason for some monologues that they have where they do psychiatric evalu- evaluations via okay. an interview. And that's kind of reminds me of the video diaries in Dark Star and um, maybe Star Trek's sort of famous captain's logs. Yeah. Bit of exposition for you to palette while you're looking at the visuals. Mm, mm. And there's some, you know, I could go on and on because you can spot these things all the way through. And, and given it is set in the future... Um, one of the things I did like about the film was that it's fairly, even though it's fairly nihilistic, mm. it's also fairly op- casually optimistic in that we are actually out there. We're on the moon, we're on Mars, we've got we've bases. We've got stuff done. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I like that so, sort of close future vision. Yeah. So there are things that work for me in this film. Mm-hmm. 
and things that don't work for me. Um, yeah, talk me through more about what you didn't like. Well, okay, with that daddy issue thing, I don't think I really explored that fully enough. Mm. Um, if you're mm. going to go for it, you got to do some more payoff on it and deliver a bit more. Yeah. And it doesn't really – the resolution is a bit odd. Another thing I didn't like, and, and this is this is just a problem with people who have seen too many space films. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones was in um, Space Cowboys. Yes. Donald Sutherland was in Space Cowboys. Mm. Donald Sutherland is in this film as well. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, and this kind of works extremely well in a Tarantino film, but yeah. for, for some reason it, it sort of rang clumsily okay. here. And also Liv Tyler functions as the astronaut's wife, um, a part which she kind of played in uh, oh, Armageddon. Armageddon. Of course. And yeah, of course Tommy Lee right. Jones was in that too. Do you? Th- I mean, I guess is that – yeah, so you're thinking maybe that's like a nod thing. Well, if they are, then they don't really uh, – sort of They lands, don't do anything with it. It lands awkwardly. Mm, and okay. you don't need to have them say, well, I used to be, you know, all this sort of stuff. But it just doesn't work. Yeah. The, 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 the beat makes you actually stumble when you come across it. Okay. So I mean, and those are fairly mainstream space movies too. So I feel yeah. like it's not like you're saying, you know, some of the other ones you've mentioned are a bit more obscure. Mm. So a lot of people would have likely seen those other films. So maybe, yeah, it just doesn't quite land. In, in the psychological areas, I think um, here I'm not an ex, I'm no, in no way an expert mm. on, in psychology. Uh, in fact, I, I could probably leave that for um, our doctors on the uh, yeah, we can yeah. handball this to um, yeah. radiotherapy. Radiotherapy, let them let them have a shot at it. Because they're actually very good at that. Mm. Uh, a number of times they've, they've had a look at films just by the, 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 use, the sort of yeah. release date. How it's portrayed and stuff as and, well. And they'll give you, well, if that person were, was hit in the back of their head, they wouldn't form 32 personalities. You know? <laughs> so I'd like actually them to give me a bit of a take on that. Um, but, yeah, it, it comes out for me as a – as a maybe film, yeah, you know, okay. it's not very apart. Even the space monkeys and the and the moon pirates, not all that exciting when you Oof. think about it. And you think, I mean, that's bad when I mean, you, you yeah. know space stuff. Even when it's a brooding affair like Gravity, is still meant to be engaging. Yeah. If you, <laughs> now, if, if they'd been, if they'd had moon monkeys and space pirates, a whole different mm. thing. You know, it would work so much better. <laughs> So I, I do have my issues with this film, and it does feel quite long. Um, what, are, what's, what are we looking at? A couple of hours? Yeah, it felt like for four. Well, that's <laughs> the thing, I guess. It's not. It's how so, long it feels, not how long it is. Yeah, it feels like. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe if it had all been done in Russian, if I, I would have been kind of like. I don't know. I think there's <laughs> a lot here that wouldn't have, still wouldn't have worked. Yeah, um, I don't know. Look, um, I well, like the idea of Brad doing. This kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, something more cerebral. I, I agree with that. I like that a lot, but yeah. And the first 10 minutes is just hellacious. Mm, you know, okay. I, I was really excited watching the first 10 minutes of this film and then, and then it, goes, it changed gear. It's even worse, I think, in some ways. You? Yeah, it was kind of like watching um, oh, the, Thunder, um, the Thunderbirds uh, live action movie that they had a while back, that, that Jonathan Frakes' one that sort of tanked. Oh, uh, yeah. And they had great first 10 minutes. I forgot about that movie. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, I'm giving it a, a maybe sort okay. of thing, depending on the mood. Might give that one a miss, I think. Uh, okay, well, I'd like to play a bit of the soundtrack from oh, that. Oh, yes, 
and I was quite delighted when I saw this on the lineup. Max Richter actually did the music for this. Yes. He's the composer. So he's a composer and he actually, I really love his work. He did a really great album called Sleep, which is sort of an album you're meant to listen to um, all in one go. And he also did a reworking of Vivaldi's Four Seasons, ah. one of which is used in the opening credits for Chef's Table. Uh-huh. Um, and he has done a lot of movie work as well. So he did, he do, he's done some work on Mary Queen of Scots, which was out recently. And TV wise, he did The Leftovers, some composing for that. And also he did some work on My Brilliant Friend, which is a series uh, based on the novels by for Alina Ferrante, I think is her name. Um, so he's done, he's actually done quite a bit of, of movie composing. Mm-hmm. as well as, yeah, he does sort of his own stuff and he does reworking of classic classic stuff. So I think we're going to listen to this To the Stars yep. from the soundtrack. Let's see if I can get this going by Max Richter. Hey, this is Craig Charles, Dave Lister from Red Dwarf. You're listening to the London Jet Zero G football show. And what? Zero G? Science fiction show? Oh, smeg. <laughs> well chosen. List, listy there, marooned out in space aboard the Red Dwarf. <laughs> All uh, intentional over here at Zero G. To the stars from the Ad Astra soundtrack, Mac, Max Richter. Mm. Hmm. Um, there's a couple other things I want to mention about Ad Astra. I, I, I didn't uh, mention in the list of, of space films, Solaris, of course, the well, Tchaikovsky film. Yes, and, and then the remake. The Soderbergh one and the uh, Stanislaw Lem novel, which is clearer than both of them Yes, in terms of uh, telling about the story. One of the mm. things, it did remind me of Solaris a little bit. There's a drive to one of the rocket launch sites and there's a famous mm. one in um, Tarkovsky's Solaris that they do the same thing. Would you recommend the original Tarkovsky? I've heard it's oh, notoriously yeah. slow. Yeah, yeah. But it's mm. elegantly slow. Tarkovsky is always a question mark for me in general, but that's a conversation for another time. It is. Um. <laughs> I also wanted to say that um, uh, that with uh, Ad Astra, look, he deserves, uh, the director, uh, James Gray, deserves a gong for, for giving it a shot. It, it mm. couldn't have been mm-hmm. an easy sell to the, um, the director, to the suits of the studio. And that's it. Like, unless Brad's... Uh, attached to it from the start, you'd have to sell it to him too. And oh, then... it was his production company, I think. Uh, oh, interesting. From, from well, that would have helped a bit of cachet, but um, yeah. Mm, all right. Okay, uh, and the dead don't die. Next on the lineup, yes. <laughs> uh, Jim Jamush is the director and writer, and um, he also did in our genre only Liv- lovers left alive. Yes. He likes that that sort of alliteration, the yes. dead don't die, only lovers left alive. It's so great though because he does these genre things, but he's done he does a very wide, diverse range of films. Have you seen many of his non-genre films? Um, does Dead Man Count as a non-genre? I, I think of that as a gothic western. I think that is genre personally. Yeah, yeah. Um, so no. Interesting. I, you might like some of his other stuff, but... Um, yeah, he reminds me a bit of um, Wes Anderson mm. in certain aspects. Um, actually, he seems to like some symmetrical shots too, if I can think of <laughs> And uh, he likes Adam Driver too. Mm. Um, Patterson is a really nice one. This film is set in the small town of Centerville. Where is that the, real? Real town? Um, I'm sure there are. There's a Centerville somewhere. You know, and there must be a left of Centerville too. <laughs> uh, and they have a... Difficulty, um, or um, <laughs> there are zombies because man-made cl- climate change is screwing with the length of the day. 
The animals are terrified to the point of extreme aggression and the fracking of hell means that the dead will walk the earth once again. So, yeah, this this film has four moves to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, they've got a problem with the fact that it's a bit self – it's a lot self-satirical. Yep. And the genre satirical, sometimes extremely so. Um when you're talking about zombie movies, a lot of them are self-satirical to start with. Yes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They're always – I think zombies more than any other kind of trope that you might tackle has largely been treated with some kind of recognition of other things that have happened in that genre. Hmm, I'd like say almost exclusively. Shaun of the Dead, Fido, you know, there's the, 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 the Night of the Living – not Night um, – what is it uh, – Ah, day what? before day, day, not dawn. The, not the not Romero, those? not the Romero films. The other trilogy of films that came out just after that sort of thing. Night of the Living Dead. No, no, no. They they are yeah. It's sort of like Return Return of the Living Dead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's those are the films where actually they introduced the zombies ate brains. Ah, yes. Um, and they'd actually say brains. But anyway, uh, so there's a lot of the, the the movies that are very self aware to start with. Mm. So when you send up zombie films. It can be a bit like sending up Gilbert and Sullivan mm. because they're already Doing sending it. themselves. It's, a, it's like that. It's like a recursion thing, like a loop. Yeah, uh, but that's all right. Other zombie films have done that, um, and so because they've got they're doing that. There's a lot of there's foretelling. Mm-hmm. You know that that old trope of somebody will say things are going to end very badly. Yeah. Um, well, really. <laughs> yeah. There'll be there'll be one grizzled old character who will who's seen it all, seen it all, and who will. Uh, know the signs and portents mm. um, and it's very postmodern and a fourth wall breaking in its dialogue too that's so i think that is a bit of a turn like it's something different for him as a director the first time you do it in the movie it's fine after that you sort of go eh, it's yeah, got to be done yeah. so right it, you cannot mess around with that stuff so they do talk about climate change and consumer society angst Again, these are very familiar Consumerism, tropes. yeah, that's that's a real thing. I mean, the mall thing from yeah. What's-Its-Face. One of the things it does have going for it, it's an all-star monster cast. Okay. Um, you know. Oh, yeah. Isn't the poster just like 20 names of actors? Bill Murray's playing the police chief, Cliff Robertson. Another Jamish favourite. <laughs> Ghostbusters, Scrooge, Groundhog Day. You know, he's, he's done quite a bit of genre. He knows his way around. Oh, and Zombieland. Of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> the, 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 but, most, I mean, the most relevant one. As a cameo, though, really. And uh, we've got the guy who played Kylo Ren. <laughs> Adam Driver. Adam Driver, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's the guy who says... He's it? so much more before and after playing Kylo Ren. Just yeah. going to put that out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Steve uh, Buscemi. Who's played Buscemi. Every, Buscemi. He's been everything. I'll never get his name right, but he's done every damn <laughs> We know thing. him. He's done genre. He's done all kinds of stuff. Uh, Chloe Seventy playing a, a police officer, and she did two seasons of American Horror Story. Um, Caleb Landry-Jones, who I last saw as Banshee in X-Men First Class. Mm. Uh, also, no, sorry, I saw him in uh, Free Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Yeah, he was also in this movie called Antiviral, done by Cronenberg's son. Yes, he was, yes. Very disturbing film. He plays a horror buff. Uh, well. Of course he does. It's a bit perfect, yeah. Um, and so he knows he's kind of prepared for <laughs> a zombie apocalypse, as is Tom Waits, who plays the grizzled hermit, who Again. knows it all. Yeah. Another Jarmish fave. Yes, but also quite a bit of genre in his uh, CVs. Dracula, The Mystery Men, 
uh, Book of Eli, Imaginarium of and Dr. Buster Panassas. And Scruggs, if we're counting kind of historically. Yeah, vibe. absolutely. He sort of channels a bit of that in this. In fact, there's a whole lot of musicians in this. Iggy Pop, The Raza, uh, Selena Gomez. Yeah, well, Jarmusch works. He do, he's done a lot of music-related stuff. He's yeah. very big into that. Yeah, he's actually a musician himself too, of course. Yeah. He's got his, he works with a band. That would normally that would normally be <laughs> that would normally be a cue for a, a Jim Jarmusch um, solo or something like that, but not today. Maybe next time. Uh, Danny Glover, yes, makes an appearance. Um, you know, uh, and of course Tilda Swinton, mm. <laughs> which we saw in Only Lovers Left Alive. Uh, yes, uh, she's Jarmusch's. She's continuing her best destiny of playing weird characters. Mm. You know, the Ancient One and Doctor Strange, the White Witch and the Narnia stuff. Um, uh, Snowpiercer, she was in Benjamin Button. Oh, and Suspiria, you know. Oh, I still think about that movie, even though at the time I think I didn't like it. Yeah, the murderous horror mm. dance. I think it's a great film, watching that. It's, it's a good I was going to say, the, like, it stuck with me, which I think says something. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so here she is playing a, a Scottish samurai sword-wielding undertaker. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, so I'm getting a gist of where this movie is kind of positioning itself. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Oh, I should mention that Carol Kane gets a role, and I will mention her again later on in in the show. Okay. Carol Kane plays a uh, a zombie, basically. We only ever see her as a zombie in this Are there too many stars in this? Yeah, now that's a a perceptive observation. It's kind of like... I'm waiting for their turn. Like, what are we doing with all these people? Are we using them properly? There's not really a lot to do beyond some standard zombie stuff. Mm. I don't feel like there's a strong through line in the story. Mm. Um, And there's some stuff in here that reminds me of an episode of Fargo, which is not necessarily a bad thing. And to be fair, if you think about Only Lovers Left Alive, there's not a strong propulsive plot in that either. No, no. But it, it works. So I'm wondering if... Yeah. Look... And he be, has a meandering, meandering style. Yeah, no, that's that's so, what I thought. I'm yeah. wandering through it. And he spends time setting up locations. So there's a good sense of place in this movie. Yes. Um, so I wouldn't call it a maybe movie. I'd give it a, a yeah, maybe okay. in terms of that's, that. It's not... I, 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 I'm not going to rave about it. I feel somehow it should be better. I mean, I think you're also coming from a very strong background of zombie films and do you feel like for somebody who is maybe a Jarmusch fan and liked Only Lovers Left Alive but doesn't, you know, hasn't watched all the zombie films ever, might it sit a bit better? I think so, actually. If you'd if you'd only seen maybe a couple of zombie movies mm. or maybe less than ten. Because <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot, like, you think about things and you don't realise that, yes, they're a yeah, zombie thing. Yeah, um, yeah there are there's a lot. many zombie there's films. There's a lot out there. So... In that in that case, you might get more out of this than I did. Is it doing something new? Like, I guess that would be my thing is... No, it feels like it's just pasting all the other tropes together. Because Only Lovers them. Left Alive was so fresh. Mm. <laughs> this is not so fresh because it's undead. Yeah. But He's attempting to decompose the corpse of zombie movies and then put it back together, but it doesn't come back together in, in a very particularly interesting mm. way. Okay. Uh, that's right. what I All thought. Right. That's a shame. I mean, like I said, I think his style isn't for everyone either, so it could be maybe his way of doing it. Hmm. Hmm. I'm still, I think I'll still check it out and see what yeah. I think. It's a, it's a languid sort of take on the thing and it didn't move me a lot. Might have made a good episode of Supernatural or something like that. <laughs> Uh, and there is a track that we have to play by Sturgill Simpson mm-hmm. uh, called The Dead Don't Die. And this is obviously um, diagenetic music because it's in the film. Love it. 
This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. Yeah, dreaming away there. The dead don't die. (laughs) (laughs) The theme for the same movie, the eponymous movie. There's no ponies in it, actually. Um, They've all fled, all the animals run away in it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I liked that. Mm, Yeah, thank Sturgill Simpson for that one. (laughs) And what's next on our... Joker. Yes. Not the Joker. 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 Very... Keen to hear your thoughts on this. Much talked about. Much talked about. Like to the point where I'm just, I'm very fatigued just watch, of just it. Just watch the film. Yeah, well, this is the thing. I just. In I'm, fact, I'm not going to say anything now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's directed by Todd Phillips, who co-wrote the screenplay of Scott Silver. Todd Phillips has done films before in the area of comedy. Road Trip, Old School, Starsky and Hutch. The Hangover Trilogy and Due Date. And War Dogs. Didn't he do War Dogs? Yes, he did. And also did the, worked on the story for Borat. Mm. And I actually think the... Borat? Borat. Yeah. Um, I actually think that one is the film that informs this one in a little few ways. He has such an interesting history. Yeah. Considering what this film is. And I think his pitch to mm. DC, because, of course, Joker is a DC Batman yes, universe yes. character. Uh, I think his pitch was something like, um, look, you're not doing too well with the, uh, the, 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 the team-up movies. Best yes. concentrate on making some, some lower-budget, mm. uh, really good And what do people ones. say DC does well? Villains. So give yeah. me a shot at a villain. Yeah. I reckon that was... Take a shot at Joker. Oh, <laughs> Um, and Scott Silver has done work on um, superhero films before. He was involved with rewrites on X-Men Wolverine Origins. Oh, So, okay. you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Enough said on that one. Oh, yeah. It was we'll, fine. We'll go off. We're not going to get sidetracked no. by Marvel no. here. This is Joker. JC Space. Joker. Okay. Now, he's, he's um, waved the wand of uh, Scorsese films. Like, you could feel like this was set in Scorsese-verse. Mm. Well, interesting given some of the news that's come out lately, but again, let's not get off the path. Especially since it's got Robert, De, you know, Robert De Niro in it. Mm. You know, so um, so if you like taxing driver, taxi, taxing driver, taxi driver, taxing driver too. It's expensive to get a cab in New York. Well, taxi driver is <laughs> very interesting ref when we're talking about Joker as well. I think Raging Bull, King of Comedy. You know, there's all these other films as well. The, the mm. Hangover trilogy also has a bit of influence in it too. Um, and because it's set in 1981, I'm feeling the echoes of them, some of those hard-bitten cop movies from the 70s yeah. coming through this one, uh, although the police are not the focus of this story because it's mm-hmm. Joker. Um, all right, so they haven't done too much to reference the the, uh, the comic book stories, although there are many Easter eggs in this film. So they're not taking it from a direct source material necessarily. Partly maybe uh, – Partly, I think um, Alan Moore and Brian Bollard's graphic novel Batman: The Killing Joke, oh, which has um, Joker as a stand-up comedian to start with. That's a very good one. Mm. That's one of their more notorious. I actually have a copy of that one. I did like actually one of the things they said about using Wacom Phoenix as uh, playing Arthur Fle- Fleck mm. slash the Joker. It makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Really, I think he's a good choice for that, especially if we're doing it this way, dark and. 
brooding and a little bit problematic. Well, he said that um, they're not so much trying to bring Wacom into the DC universe as trying no. to bring the DC universe into Wacom's universe. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, it actually. Does. It does. And you know what? This is not his first gig in the DC universe. He was um, a, uh, a kid who wanted to be Superboy mm. in the television series Superboy from, in, from the 1988, roughly. Ah. Yeah. And that was, uh, he played a character called Little Hercules, Billy Hercules, when he was still known as Leaf Phoenix because, you know, his family has... Yes, River, of, Summer. Yes, eccentric names. Uh, so, yeah, so he's actually been in the uh, 1980s. So is Leaf his birth name? Yeah, and or, he, or one of his names. I guess know. maybe, I know, actually, I think he, it's Leaf Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, his father something. was raking outside. <laughs> no, it's true, it's true. Really? Yeah, it is. S- swear to God. I mean, it's, wor- <laughs> it's worked for them because they're all pretty famous. Okay, so <clears throat> um, essentially this is the story of how Joker got to be Joker. Uh, so, yes, it is an origin story. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a person who is much put upon in his life mm. and has to work through all of that. No and comment. like the superheroes, he's chosen to uh, – well, he, he ends up with a, a split sort of uh, dual identity okay. type thing. Although yes. he, unlike most of the superheroes, gets submerged in it. Okay. You know, just – this in a way, in a way, and this is highly relevant, in a way it's like um, – there but for the grace of the bats and the steadying hand of people like Alfred and, and more upright characters in his universe Whereas goes Joker. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, the psychology of it is it is quite fascinating. You know, there's so much controversy about this. Um, is it yet another one that takes disability as a gateway to supervillainy? Oh. Yes, you can look at it that way. Um, I'm not going to dispute that. Uh, is it one that's going to be seen by certain people who are quite uh, unsettled to begin with as a gateway to the em- emphasizing with them? This is, you know, yes, finally someone gets me right. Mm. You know, there is potential danger there. Okay, okay. I, I understand that too. I'm not discounting that either. Uh, not qualified really on either of those areas to comment much apart from the fact that it does seem obvious that there could be some issues there. Because it's a it's a man who's a loner and who turns to violence. Yeah. As a result of his mental state. Yeah, which could equally describe Batman. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the <laughs> thing. I think, I mean, there's a big conversation that I think we don't want to stray into, but... Except, you know... Batman doesn't kill. Well... He tries not to. He tries not to. I suppose there's a difference between creating anarchy and attempting and, to be take justice into your own hands. Yeah, being an, an anarchist. Some might say that they're the same thing. There is, a, <laughs> there is an unpleasant – one thing I do feel a bit qualified to speak about, there was an, there's an unpleasant um, um, attack upon uh, Occupy movements oh, okay. in this, pushing them into the realm of, um, of, of vigilante rioters and, and so on. And it, it – it, Turned me off the film a little bit, rather like having the echo terrorists in the uh, recent Godzilla movie. Oh, okay. Uh, on the other hand, they're equal-handed at dishing out the uh, the nihilism there because the rich people who uh, half of Gotham is in pitch combat against in this movie are also pretty. Is everyone just evil. an awful person? Yeah, it's Gotham City. <laughs> is it one of those? Yeah, it's it's a nasty place, basically. It's, is it? 
pretty down like the movie is it enjoyable it shouldn't be and if if you if you enjoy this film then you should feel ashamed and have a shower (laughs) afterwards (laughs) so it's not meant to be fun no but is it engaging i suppose it is engaging um wakam phoenix is mesmerizing as the joker he's lost weight to do the role he's uh, developed this insanely uh, unsettling laugh. I mean, he is very committed, disturbing. a committed actor. If he so. wasn't before, afterwards, <laughs> yes. Um, I, I should mention that Carol Kane also pops up in this. She oh. was in um, The da, da, Dead da, da, Don't Die. die. Yeah. We've seen her before in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt where she plays Lillian Kalshtupa. Uh She's born in Cleveland, Ohio, and she has this accent that, that mm. follows okay. that. Um, and she did that in The Princess Bride where she played one of the uh, the characters. Right, okay. But she had a recurring role in Gotham where she plays Gertrude uh, Cobblepot, Oswald Cobblepot, the Penguin's mother. Oh. Now, here's a problem. Okay. Um, there's an echo of that Here. stream. Like Gotham penguin. related. Yeah. Oh, Penguin. The Penguin's mother uh, is a big character in the Penguin. Uh, in the Gotham series, yes, Mo- and fairly recent too. So it's all in our, in the fans. Oh, mind. and they kind of transpose that onto this Joker storyline. Yeah, there's a feeling. Like, there is a feeling like I've just seen this. Let's do that. For it's our different actors. I'm getting that confused there, but it is a different actress actually playing. Um, I'm with Joker's mum. So that relationship dynamic, they've kind of copied that here. You don't know whether you're Arthur or Martha. Mm, oh, don't no, don't remind <laughs> me of the Martha thing. So okay. yeah, there is that. Um, but the key to this film is that it's Joker's autobiography. Mm-hmm. And I say autobiography, what does that tell you? It means there's no... It's very um it, it, He is an unreliable narrator yeah. and then some. And that, I think, is this film's uh, really high point mm. where it excels. How does it look? How does it look? Um, well, I, I almost didn't notice that it was set in 1981. Okay. So it they're d- not leaning into that. Very much. It was so background that I didn't really. Okay. That's probably good. It might have been detracting. Yeah, but I mean, because Gotham is is kind of such a fantasy city anyway, like a combination of New York. You can do whatever you want. And Chicago, yeah. Can't you really? It, it's yeah, it's not over the top. Yeah, it, it okay. looks like what it is in this film, which is a big machine for creating mentally disturbed people <laughs> who either fall on one side or the other of the law or the moral center or whatever you want to say. Yeah, pretty much. It's interesting too. I think that director that when I think about, even though there've been different genre, like comedy or like whatever, he does have a very distinct color palette that he uses in his movies. It's kind of a dark saturated. Yeah. Desaturated. And I think yeah. someone, uh, I read a review mentioning that this film does look quite striking at least. In oh yeah, terms absolutely. Of that cinematography and, how it's presenting itself. You know, this would actually make a pretty good Judge Dredd movie. <laughs> come oh, to think yeah. of it. Didn't we get one of those? It <laughs> well, wasn't very successful, I don't We've think. had a couple of them. Mm. Uh, now, Robert De Niro plays a talk show host in this. Um, and he does that extremely well. Um, I'd like to see that, actually. We get uh, Zazie Beetz playing a, um, a single mum. Mm-hmm. And um, she was uh, Domino in Deadpool 2. Which is a oh, role, yeah, great. A role she had a lot more um, ability to yeah, work yeah. with than in this film, uh, and if, and Francis Conroy does a really good turn as Penny Fleck, who's Arthur's um, mother. Mother yeah. in this film, we've seen her before in American Horror Story. So you've got all these people coming in, and you think, oh, uh, I know where they've been before. 
<laughs> to be fair, there's so many genres out now that most actors have at least one on their resume. Brett Cullen picks up the role of Thomas Wayne, Bruce's dad. Okay. Uh, in a role that was initially going to be cast of Alec Baldwin. And actually, as I was watching this, mm. I was thinking, Alec Baldwin could have done that role. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but he is, because is he playing it like Alec Baldwin? Is that why? It feels a little bit like that, actually. Yeah, it probably is. But not Alec Baldwin from um, 30 Rock. 30 Rock, no. We're talking more <laughs> the other. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I think this is actually... Um, a, a fine super villain film. Yep. Uh, not that I particularly feel any need to become a super villain. Mm-mm. Didn't empathise with him or anything. <laughs> <laughs> you were practising that on the tram, weren't you? <clears throat> yes. Well, uh, so, yeah. Um, it is uh, a good psychological study, I think. Mm. But again, I'm not qualified to say. And I do think that um, I do feel a little bit shabby about liking the film because it does feel like, once again, it's that damn trope. Mm. Mental illness is a gateway to supervillainy. Yeah. You know, and I'm just kind of tired of yeah. that. Yeah. But it's done so well in this case. Interesting. I don't give them a pass, but mm. I'll say that that exists there in the conversation you could have about the film. Do you empathise with him as a character? Like what I keeps em- you emphasi- in the film? I emphasise with um, Arthur Fleck. Right. But not Joker. Right. Okay. Yeah. You know, there yeah. are, you know, you c- it's possible to emphasise with people who are victims in their victim mode, mm. but when they become the oppressor and the abuser then you can stop emphasising with them. Interesting. I don't, I don't see – I think you can turn it off, basically. How violent are we talking? Uh, not um, graphically vo- – oh, yeah, actually, I suppose it is fairly graphically violent. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, quite violent. Um, and I would have expected and, and that. And stunningly so, too, because it's a matter of fact and um, – and, be you know, re- like, is it very not, realistic I don't, they, style? They don't really stylize it. Yeah. You know. It's not like a Tarantino. It's it's like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Look, I see why this won the um, the Golden Lion at Venice. Interesting. Um, because it is, a, it is a good film. And, and I would have to put it into a, um, into a, uh, yeah, um, definition for a, for a rating on zero G terms. Okay. Um, and I, 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 I'm moved and disturbed by this film and I can see how it might move and disturb people who you actually don't want to disturb any further. Yeah, I mean... But it's, it's, it's a movie, you know, and artists, filmmakers do what they do. Mm. Um, so, yeah, lots of caveats in there. Yeah, interesting. All right, okay. That's, I'm, yeah. I think it's... Um, interested to hear it's certainly It's it. certainly one of the most penetrating insights into a character... And you can see where Joker's character gets his character from in other movies, like the the, the, the Nolan trilogy, mm. would make sense putting him in context of this. I mean, he's. I think it's definitely an interesting and very engaging character, and there's mm. a lot of good source material, like Killing Joke and, and other um, comic story, like Joker origin stories. So I think this is actually an interesting and good choice. I'm happy to see that they're doing films like this. Mm. Um, yeah. And just... remember, please remember, feel, uh, if, you, if you're feeling anything for the character, just remember that this is this pretty much reads like what Joker mm. thinks his origin was. Yeah, well, that's it, right? And he's a rat bag. <laughs> yeah. Basically. <laughs> to put it, yeah, to put it plain. Yeah. Okay. So you would recommend this one with caveats? For, or? for adults? 
Yeah. Yeah. Don't end up worshipping this character. Seriously. I mean, I feel, yeah, I feel like, uh, yeah. Mm. I think actually Tarantino would have um, not done as quite a good a job on this film if he'd done it, mm-hmm. uh, just uh, picking a director out of um, a hat there, because he would have um, stylized it to the point yeah. where it might have become a bit more Where this was quite enticing. understated in some of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, All very right. interesting. We're going to go out now with a track which I think applies to every character in this entire episode of Zero G, hmm. including me and Megan, <laughs> Under Pressure. Lovely. Which is from the best of David Bowie. Yeah. And Queen. And that's it. Joe is um, Joe in today. I'm not quite sure. But Astral Glamour is coming up next. And we've got um, many things to talk about next week, which I'm not going to tell you about next because spoilers. <laughs> yes. Thank, <laughs> thank you, Rob. Thank you, Megan. G'day. This is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.